The Swarmcast has returned after, I would say, a brief hiatus, Sean, but probably been three weeks or so with, with my vacation and you being back home and everything else. But uh, how, how are you, buddy? It's good to be back. Yeah, I've been good, Dave. You know, just chilling right now in my apartment in Iowa City, coming back for a few days, just kind of get, you know, back in the groove a little bit and checking out a few area kids and going to see Peyton Sanford tonight, Price Sanford, Omaha Billiou, Derek Waukee. So, you know, I'm just trying to get back in the groove of things. And it's been it's been nice. I mean, it's been a pretty busy, even without the bowl game, it's been a pretty, pretty busy couple of weeks, you know, with the early signing day and, you know, now we're going into the late signing period and basketball's yeah. really picked up. So, you know, it's it's always busy. And I think that's one of the things I like most about this job is that there's always something going how is, on. Uh, how was your New Year's Eve? Let's not get into that. <laughs> Let us not get into that. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, no, yeah, you're, you're right, Sean. I mean, it's been a busy few weeks. And, you know, obviously it was disappointing the Iowa Bowl game against Missouri being canceled. We won't harp too much on that. We'll, we'll, you know, later on the podcast, we will kind of wrap things up as far as football season goes and talk about guys that have declared and, and everything else like that. But, Sean, I think the first thing, you know, we really do need to start out with, we got to talk some Iowa hoops. There's been a lot, I mean, a lot that has happened since last time we talked. So let's start right at the top and probably one of the biggest stories over the past at least 10 days, maybe 14 days or so. And I think we dove into a lot of this on our last podcast, but Jordan Bohannon seems like he's really starting to find his role in the team. He seems like he's much more comfortable. He's hitting shots. And overall, I mean, I think he's getting some pretty good effort on defense. What's been your take on, on, on Jordan over the past two weeks or so? Yeah, I definitely think, you know, since that North Carolina game and then leading up to the Northwestern game, he went through a stretch where he wasn't, as much of an impact guy. I mean, he struggled against Iowa State, was one of six. Northern Illinois, he had a decent game, but only played 17 minutes. Gonzaga, obviously, that's where his struggles were most noted. Against Purdue, you kind of saw that coming back a little bit. Um, he was three of eight from three. And then Minnesota, where, you know, everyone just all hell turned loose, it seems. He had seven points and was one of seven. And then bounced back with that really productive game against Northwestern, going six of nine, and I think five of six in the second half or five of five, one of the two, um, and then played pretty well against Rutgers despite the four turnovers. So, you know, I think people, what we've seen from Bohannon, um, people are so used to him, you know, knocking down all those shots, like consistently, like almost like CJ Frederick is doing this year, where, you know, the expectations are for him is once he's open, like he's going to have a really good opportunity to hit a shot. And I think some some of, you know, just the expectations and just how some people have looked at Bohannon throughout his career at Iowa, like those expectations are hard to live after, like live up to, you know, like if Bohannon miss if like, I feel like for Jordan Bohannon, if he misses one shot to a lot of people, that seems like he's missing three or four because he's been such a reliable three point shooter throughout his career at Iowa. And just seeing him struggle like that um, in an area where he's really had some success. I mean, I know last year, he was struggling with some of the things with his hips, but um, like he's not shooting much better over the course of the year as he was last year. I mean, granted, he's taken more threes. He's in 11 games this year, he's taken 75 threes. Well, last year in 10 games, he took 61. So, I mean, he's shooting the ball more often this year, but 
I think you look at it from a standpoint of, okay, yeah, he's not shooting as well, but you know, he's making, he's, uh, he's impacting the game other ways. And I know that's a cliche, but I think he's done better defensively. I think his passing has been better at times. I think some of his entry passes and, you know, sometimes yeah. some lazy passes that mm-hmm. really turn people off and, you know, end up turning turnovers. Um, that's definitely, you know, made his slump a little more notable, but I think as far as shooting goes, I think just seeing him back into a groove is what, is what you want. And that's huge as a shooter as well. And, I think, you know, he'll maybe go through a slump again, but I think just getting that consistency back and seeing the ball go through the net a few times is really going to help him going forward. Yeah, and it is interesting, too. Uh, I think it was the Barstool Bench Mob interview when they had Jordan Bohan on, I think, yesterday or maybe it was over the weekend or something. But he talked about how he likes – he doesn't even like shooting open three, Sean. He likes to have a hand in his face or be in transition. And I think the biggest thing that I've seen – for Jordan over the past couple of weeks is he just looks confident again. He looks like he has the swagger back. I mean, I, I think of the three he hit in transition against, I think it was Northwestern. He kind of kept, kept that follow through up, you know, a little bit longer than uh, needed. But I think that shows that, you know, he's, he wants, he thinks he's back. He's kind of got that energy back. And I think he's comfortable with where he fits in on the team. And as you said, I think with everything else, for Jordan, I think something that, you know, I think has been apparent to me, Sean, is he's been accountable, I think, the entire season. I mean, when he's played like crap, he's fly outside. I played like crap. He said Gonzaga was the worst game probably of his career. He just couldn't get anything right. And, you know, I think for Iowa, it, it, I know we're talking about offense, their number one offense, according to Ken Palm, as far as efficiency goes. But they're going to need Jordan Bohan to, to be that big shot guy. They're going to need him to be able to hit those threes. And I think that, you know, that that mid-range kind of fadeaway shot he hit against Rutgers was absolutely massive. I thought that was a really good shot. I thought it was a smart play. But, again, a confident Jordan Bohannon, I think, is a very, very good thing for this team. And we'll dive more into Rutgers, the Rutgers win here in a second, Sean. But you look at the way Joe Wieskamp and C.J. Frederick both struggled against Rutgers yet Iowa still found a way to crawl out a 77-75 win over I think you know I not not that I was bullish on Rutgers Sean but Rutgers is a, at least a minimum sweet 16 caliber team that team they have a very legit squad over there definitely and I don't want to get in I before we get into the next point Dave back to Bohannon real quick one of the cool features I like a lot a lot about Ken Palm is that you know they look at the stats like some of the really in-depth analytics and they have comparisons to past players and how their seasons have gone. And yeah, Bohannon, Bohannon right now, the player that he's most comparable to is Jordan Holes from Indiana in 2013. And during that season, Jordan Holes, who is known as one of the best three-point shooters in probably Indiana history, if not one of the best up there with Steve Alford. Um, sorry to name drop, but um, <laughs> Jordan, or Holes' offensive rating – was 14th in the country. In conference games, it was fourth in the country. Conference hmm. games, his effective field goal percentage was fifth in the country. True, true shooting percentage was seventh in the country. Three-point percentage in conference-only games was 44%, 40 of 90, which was third in the country. Bohannon right now, in conference-only games, his offensive rating is eighth, his effective field goal percentage is six. His true shooting percentage is fifth. His assist rate is 13th. And his 
he's shooting 44 or he's shooting 45% from three, 13 of 29, which is 14th in the country. So, you know, I think we talk about the stretch or the slump that he had. I mean, I know Gonzaga really took a toll and, you know, made some people kind of like, ah, eh, but I think you look at those numbers and I think those, I think those tell a lot of the story, you know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. No. And I, and I agree with you on that. And I think, as I think you and I both said a few weeks ago, Jordan Bohannon's going to win a game for Iowa this year. Like he's going to make a difference. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like he's going to be the difference in a couple of these games. And you know, if Joe Wieskamp's off, if CJ's off, they have guys that can set up and I don't want to say Luca Luca's off because what Luca Garza has done this season has been flat out remarkable. I mean, Sean, we're 11 games into the year. And Luca has already scored uh, 302 points in 11 games. I mean, that's insane to me. Um, let's dive into a couple more storylines about this team, Sean. And I think the next thing, who I think is quickly becoming a fan favorite, and I think it's not fu- it's I want to say it's ironic or it's kind of funny to me because people were so upset when Iowa offered him. You know, Iowa fans, I think, I don't want to say, you know, maybe disappointed, weren't sure about questioning it. But Keegan Murray, man, he was a huge reason why Iowa ended up beating Rutgers at the rack. What what he's done this season on both ends of the floor has been pretty remarkable to say the least. And I, again, I'm giving you credit, Sean, because you were the sole, I don't want to say sole media member, but really the most outspoken person to Iowa fans saying, guys, relax. This kid's going to be really good. And this season, he's been he's been spectacular this season. Yeah, so Keegan, I mean, from just a pure, you know, just looking at his high school film and his film from DME, which I think is the more film you want to go off of, you know, everyone kind of thought coming in, like, okay, we got another score. We got another really good three-point shooting threat. And I don't think anyone really expected for him to take on the role that he has this year in such a good or such an efficient matter. I mean, he shot well from three, shooting 44%, good from two, 60%, or 61 if you want to round up. is 78% from the free throw line, including those two clutch ones against Rutgers. And I think what he's really brought this year as far as production goes is I don't want to say he's on, like, the career directory, trajectory of Nicholas Bear, but I think their rules are very similar in that you have a junkyard dog type who is going to just do the dirty work but also can score for you on the offensive end and do so um, efficiently. And that's where he's been so good this year is that he doesn't need, you know, to take so many shots. Like, he just works in the flow of the offense, and he fits perfectly in what I was doing. I mean, he can play with Patrick McCaffrey on the floor. He can play with Garza. He can play with Wies Camp. He is just another weapon off the bench, and I think that's where he's been so good this year. And then Kenyon Murray – um, his father, who's obviously a beloved Hawkeye, talked about before on Twitter that he told Chris and Keegan that if they want to see the floor early in their career, they're going to have to play defense. They're going to have to be able to defend. They're going to have to be able to rebound. And Keegan has done a great job of that. And Fran mentioned, too, after the game on Saturday that he's been wanting to play Chris Murray more, too. You know, I think Keegan has always been known as a scorer more of the main you know, three-point shooter, but Keegan's kind of a guy that could play you that three or four spot. Not necessarily the scorer or shooter that Keegan is, but 
Chris is another guy that can just fit well in the offense. He can guard down low. He can guard on the perimeter. He can rebound. He can score better than he was before. Not necessarily going to be a huge score, but I think he's more on that trajectory of Nicholas Bear and that those two guys are just very similar in how they play and just how their roles are going to be. And I think that's what this Iowa team needs. I think Chris will get better offensively as time comes along. But I think what people need to realize is you can't look at the high school careers of these guys. You got to look at their ceiling. You got to look at the whole body of work. I know it's cliche, but you got to look at the bloodlines too. Kenyon was a great athlete. These two guys are really, really good athletes. And it just took them a little bit longer to develop into the type of players that can become. And I think, you know, I think Fran has had some misses before with some of those guys that people consider to be reaches. I think the Juco market was where it's kind of struggled. Um, some guys in previous recruiting classes that, you know, there really just wasn't a role for them on the team. I'm looking at, like, Brady Ellenson. I mean, he was a great shooter for Iowa, but once his junior, senior year came around, like, there wasn't really a role for him. And I think what Fran has done is – I think what Fran did such a good job with, especially in these past recruiting cycles, is you got guys that are flexible that can play at both positions. Like, you have Joe Wieskamp, can play the two, three, or four. You have Connor McCaffrey can play the one through four. You got CJ Frederick can play the one, two, or three. You got Joe Toussaint who can only play the one really, but you could use him off ball as kind of just, you know, a combo guard. Not necessarily a score type, but, you know, just a combo guard. But he's going to more play the one. You got Aaron Ewells can play the one or two. You got Tony Perkins can play the two or three. You got Keegan and Chris Murray who can play the three, four. Even if, if you want to go really small, you can have him play the five. And I yeah. think that I've said, like I said before, like, that's what I like so much about these rosters and some of the, you know, guys that Fran is recruiting is you have this versatility. Well, I think in some previous teams, you have guys that could really only play one spot. And, you know, that works for a Luca Garza type um, because, you know, he's so dominant down there. But if you have guys like Keegan, if you keep recruiting guys like Keegan and Chris Murray, who just fit in well at the system and can play those multiple spots, you got a lot more flexibility with your positions. And I didn't even mention Patrick McCaffrey, like, his versatility gives Iowa so much flexibility with their lineups. And the same thing with Peyton Sanford coming in. He could play the three or four. Like there's just so – maybe even the two. There's just so much you can work with and just – Yeah. So you can get so creative yep. with lineups. And I think that's what makes this Iowa team so dangerous going forward too. And I think the big thing that we haven't touched on regarding Keegan, Sean, is he, he's, he has the it factor. I mean, he has the gamer mentality – the fact that he could step up to the line, team trailing by one after a big offensive board by him with 16 seconds left in a top 15 Big Ten matchup, and for him to be able to go just walk up, knock them down fearlessly, and then play pretty sharp defense at the end, I think that really says a lot about the caliber of player he is and going forward. I mean, he's not a guy who, who shies away from the moment. And I'll say this, and I think this is an interesting talking point. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. If you talk about playing a guy like Keegan early, and this is nothing against Keegan whatsoever, but again, not a lot of people expected him to, if anybody expected him to do as well as he has this early. I think 
no fans has been a huge relief for like guys like Aaron Eulis, like Keegan, like Keegan. I'll even say like Patrick McCaffrey. There's not that, I don't want to say fear factor, Sean, but it's just a game. You're on the court, no fans. You're just playing ball. They don't get caught up in all this extra stuff that could potentially make them more nervous. And I think Keegan has taken that. He's shined. And I think he's going to be a major, major part of this team going forward, obviously. And I think he's making a case to, to be the first guy off the bench. And I know people want to talk about, oh, you know, Keegan needs more minutes. I mean, the thing is, and I think you agree with me on this part, Sean, who are you going to take away minutes from to play Keegan more? You're not going to take away minutes from C.J. Frederick. You're not going to take away minutes from Joe Wieskamp. You're not going to take away minutes from Luca Garza. And it it really doesn't matter if you take away minutes for for Jordan or or Connor. But, you know, I think for the sake that what Iowa was missing against Rutgers was Connor McCaffrey. The post-entry passes, I think, were a huge part of that game. And I think that with the style of play that Connor has and his skill set, the Rutgers game would have been absolutely perfect for him to be able to go out and showcase why he's on this Iowa team. But I'll say his absence, Sean, proved why Connor gets those type of minutes. I mean, the team just runs better when Connor McCaffrey is on the floor. Yes, he's not the shooter that he probably needs to be, but he does so many other things well on the court that it's just tough, if not impossible, for Iowa to replace. And I did put this in our VIP board, and, and Fran kind of alluded to this. Um, but I, I, right now, Sean, from what I'm hearing, I fully expect Connor to be a full go uh, for Thursday against Maryland. But it, it, it's just interesting to just the way the game kind of unfolded. And, you know, and Connor is such a big part of the team. But I think that's what makes Keegan's story from Saturday so exceptional was he was able to step up in that role not as the passer, but step up in other areas. And Iowa did find a way to win. But, Sean, I want to talk about this last point about the Rutgers game before we talk about going forward, some things to watch. Uh, The biggest surprise probably to me was Fran's willingness, early willingness, to play Aaron Eulis and Tony Perkins in some pretty crucial minutes in that first half. Joe Wieskamp wasn't playing well. I think Fran was upset with, with effort as far as turning the ball over and not getting back on defense. CJ had two fouls. Connor McCaffrey was out. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong about this, Sean, did Joe Toussaint, was Joe Toussaint out at that point because of that eye poke? At which, in the second half or first half? In the first half. He was out in the second half, I believe. It was the eye poke in the second half? Okay. I'm pretty sure. I think that he wasn't doing, he wasn't playing exceptional, but Fran alluded to go, elected to go, Aaron Eulis and Tony Perkins, and not that they blew up the stat sheet by any means, Sean, but I thought Aaron and, and Tony played spectacular for what they needed to do. And, yeah, they made a couple mistakes here and there, but I really – I was impressed with what they brought to the table, and especially since they haven't played in a game at all since December 13th. Yeah, they were – they brought it. And, you know, I think we saw a big sample size of – Aaron Ulis and what he brings to the table. I was, I saw Aaron, I've been seeing Aaron play since his freshman year of high school. Um, obviously I went to Bonnet Academy, which is in the same conference as Marion Catholic. And I've seen Aaron grow up from just watching him in the high school ranks. And, you know, I've always seen like that playmaking type ability and, you know, he's just a winner too. I mean, his brother Tyler was the same way or is the same way. 
granted, I mean, he hasn't gotten the benefit of the doubt in the NBA, but he was a winner at Kentucky, he was a winner at Marion Catholic, and, like, they just – you know, Tyler was really flashy with his with his moves and how he can create space and how he can make guys fall over. Aaron was pretty quick, really quick first step. But what I've liked so much about Aaron this whole time throughout his high school career is just his length and how he uses it. And plus it's just, like, in the intangibles he has. Like, he's not – you know, the most crafty player, like he's not going to do anything like super sexy on the court. But I think just from an efficiency standpoint, and you saw it over the course of his career, Marion Catholic, just the way he was able to make his teammates better on the court. And his vision is really, really good too. I think that's one of the areas that he's worked on a lot is he's always the passing ability, but he just works well in the offense and the way he creates is really, really special. And his offensive game you know, I think from a standpoint of, yes, he's a great passer. Yes, he's a playmaker. But he could be a guy that could shoot threes, too. I mean, he's not going to be Jordan Bohannon. But I think he could be a reliable three-point shooter at some point during his career when he gets the keys to the offense. And I think that's what Fran, another good thing, I think just the, the athleticism that he has on the perimeter in the future recruiting classes with Ulysses and Tony Perkins is really going to be the difference going forward in the Big Ten. I mean, you love C.J. Frederick, you love Jordan Bohannon, but I think what these guys bring is just a different with different gear defensively and just the way you can run your offense and just how you want to play. Because Iowa wants to play fast. They want to space the floor. And while Frederick and Bohannon do an excellent job of spacing the floor, you have guys like Tony Perkins, who, I mean, isn't the greatest offensive player yet, but I think his athleticism will will get him on the court early and his defense will be really beneficial. But Aaron, too, like you just have that quick, witty, um, just natural point guard. And what we've seen so far from like in the past couple of years with the game, I mean, it's not overly athletic. Like he's not going to throw it down on guys, but he's just going to be a steady, reliable guard that is going to have a really good career at Iowa. And I think Iowa fans got a really good taste of that the other day against Rutgers is that he is just steady. He's very calm, cool, collected, similar to Keegan. And just, he has that sort of it factor. He's grown up with the game, really had great people around him. I mean, he, he trains with NBA guys during the summer and his brother grew up with his brother who was an NBA player. Like it's just who you surround yourself with that. And you could just tell, I mean, I know there's the cliche of a coach's kid and you see that in Connor McCaffrey, but Aaron just has, you know, that pedigree and just, you know, he surrounds himself with NBA guys that he knows the mindset it takes. He knows the work ethic. Yeah. He understands what it takes to make it. And he's done a great job of that so far. And it was on display against Rutgers. And, you know, I've heard from people too throughout the offseason that, you know, teammates have loved playing with Aaron and Tony. Like they're just so unselfish and from, I mean, I know they had their you know, maybe some of their growing pains to start out, but they are just so natural on the basketball court and just are so just work so well in the in the movement and just the flow of Iowa's offense that they're really really special and really really fun to play with. No, and I think that's an excellent point too about just the mentality and who you surround yourself with for Aaron. I think that that's why it was such a safe bet when Iowa offered him, and you we were kind of tracking that for a long time. And Iowa had been tracking it, but I think you, you were a huge fan of the offer, and it was a pretty open and shut recruitment after that. But moving moving on, Sean, Iowa has a couple big games this week before we dive into some football talk to kind of end things off. But 
Iowa travels to College Park to go take on Maryland on Thursday, then will return home on Sunday to take on Minnesota. And, you know, Sean, we, we talk about, you know, how is Iowa, how did Iowa move on from the Minnesota game? They had seven point lead, 44 seconds left. Minnesota makes some crazy shots. Basketball is a weird game. Minnesota ends up taking it, but Minnesota looks to appear to be a pretty legit team this year. I mean, with Liam Robbins was such a massive addition for them. Marcus Carr is playing at an all American kind of level and they have pieces around, around them that allow them, you know, for a chance at some good success, but you know, Iowa responds well, but you, you got to think, Sean, that the Iowa players are chomping at the bit to get back in Minnesota after the way that game ended. But yeah, I think it'll be very important for them not to overlook Maryland because while I don't think Maryland is an overly talented team this year, I think they have some decent pieces. But Maryland just took down Wisconsin, you know, in, in at Maryland. So it's it's the Big Ten. You can't really overlook any game. And I know some people laugh and say, you, can't, you know, but you can overlook Nebraska. Well, based on last year's game alone, I know Iowa had injury issues, but Iowa did lose to Nebraska last year. So I, I would make the case that you can't overlook any team in the conference this year. But I'm very interested to see how Iowa comes out on Thursday. Iowa checks back in at number five in the latest AP poll after the two wins last week. But I think, Sean, just as an overall theme to this team, I think you have to love the way that Iowa responded because they easily could have allowed that, that Minnesota loss, one loss to turn into two losses. But the way they came out uh, against Northwestern, I thought that, that's exactly what you wanted to see out of a veteran-led team. For sure. And I think Maryland's going to be a really interesting test too because they have guys that can shoot from the perimeter similar to Rutgers. They have guys that can spread the floor – um, and really make a difference with their shooting ability and can score too. Um, their offense is 11th in the country in adjusted efficiency on Ken Palm. Effective field goal percentage is 34th in the country. They don't turn the ball over often. Shooting pretty well from three, I believe 38% as a team, 55% from two. And they got guys that can get hot. I mean, Dante Scott is 19 of 32 this year from three. Mm -hmm. um, Jairus Hamilton is 16 of 36 from three after not shooting over 30% during his career at Boston College. Eric Ayala is a really good playmaker and like a traditional combo guard, but a guy that can, you know, affect the game in a number of ways with his playmaking ability and, you know, just his overall steadiness. And it's not like they're a huge team either. I mean, they got Cole Mariel. Um, well, I mean, they're pretty, they're pretty tall in terms of like average height. Uh, they're the 18th tallest team in the country in terms of average height. But they don't really have much head toppers. I mean, Cole Mariel's seven foot two, but he plays in twenty percent of his team's minutes. Yeah. And you know, defensively is where they've struggled this year. And I mean it's the same case for Iowa too. So if both teams are hitting well from deep, then this game could be a shootout. And, you know, I think that works well in Iowa's favor. But I also think Maryland is a team that like we saw against Wisconsin, like they can get hot and, you know, if you know, Iowa's not hitting shots, then that could be that could be tough. Well, I was going to say, if Wiggins gets hot, I think that's the big deal to me because typically when Wiggins plays well, Maryland in general is just so much so much better. So I'm I'm keeping a close eye on him. But as far as an overarching theme for this team, Sean, I I think you have to like where Iowa sits right now. I mean, nine and two, both their losses are to quad one teams. Minnesota, I thought, got kind of jobbed in the initial net rankings. I think they checked in at 43. I know they didn't play much for non-conference, but the win over Iowa 
uh, the schlacking of Ohio State. I think that, uh, you know, that, that they are turning into a, a pretty legit ball club. But as far as where I expected Iowa to be, I think I had them 10-1. and one. Maybe I had them 9-2 and two at this point. But obviously the defense has to find a way to improve. At times it feels like Iowa's relying on teams to miss shots and, you know, hoping that they can turn long misses into – points in Iowa, you know, Iowa points, but that's not going to get done in the NCAA tournament. That's not even going to get done in the big 10 tournament right now. Last time I checked this morning, I believe opposing teams, Sean are shooting 36% from three against Iowa and they're making nearly nine a game. Like, yeah, Iowa's shooting better and making more threes, but if you're allowing nine threes a game and, and teams to shoot 36% from distance against you, man, you better have that best offense in the country and it better show up every single time out. So as far as Iowa's defensive lapses, Sean, what's been the common theme for for you from your standpoint? I got two initial thoughts. One, it feels like Iowa at times, they do not close out well at all. I think that, you know, they'll run up to opposing players, hands are not up. And I think that makes a major difference. And I think that's something where Iowa has struggled this year. And I think number two, the rotations in the zone and the miscommunications in the zone can just be so, so, so sloppy. And I think that it has led to corner three after corner three after corner three for opposing teams. So am I seeing that correctly or what are you kind of attributing Iowa's defensive lapses to? Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think just like basic understanding of like offense, like defensive principles and, you know, just understand the scouting report. Because, yes, I mean, on Saturday against Rutgers, C.J. Frederick um, was guarding um, Geo Baker 35 feet away from the basket when Geo Baker is a guy that can take you off the dribble. Not necessarily a knockdown three-point shooter, but a guy that can take you off the dribble and, you know, get downhill really well. And Geo Baker kind of just went right by him. And not to pick on C.J., but – Again, but there was another time in the overtime period against Minnesota where he kind of went off of Brandon, helped way too far off of Brandon Johnson a little bit or some screens or something and let him go. And I and he hit two three-pointers in overtime um, and was what, like six of seven going into overtime from three. And you got to you gotta, you gotta be more aware of that. And I also think Garza, I think this was an interesting point that a couple people had brought up to me is that when he hedges ball screens, he is just very slow to get back. Yep. And yep. that that's a concern, especially when you're playing against quicker guards. Um, like Marcus Carr took advantage of it. Um, Northwestern did at times. Gonzaga just absolutely kind of exposed him there. And Rutgers, I thought, did too. I mean, they were feeding Johnson yes. time and time again. Yes. And, you know, I don't know if that's f- fixable. I think maybe you just have to live with it, but I think there's ways that you can adjust to it when it comes to defensive rotations. But that's another thing too. If like you overhelp on something, then okay, you got a guy wide open. If you overhelp on the screener or the roller, then you got, or yes, the screener, then you got a guy in the corner that could be wide open for a corner three if that guy helps off too much, you know? So I think like, I think they're fixable. I really do. But I just don't – like, Fran will admit it, too. Like, he knows that the offense is better than the defense. Like, I don't think – like, I, I think he's said it on the record a few times. But defensively, there's just 
that's just what's keeping this team from what we what we what we expect them to be and what everyone else expects them to be with the hype that they had coming into the season. I think they're getting better at it. I mean, they showed flashes against Northwestern. Then Purdue, they did a really good job. Rutgers, I thought they were okay at times. But I think some of the bad just outweighs the good in that regard. Definitely. And like you said, I'm not sure if this is fixable. But, you know, the team that I would be very worried about exposing that, and I think Iowa's going to have to make a separate game plan for, it's Illinois. They are going to expo- with with Andre Curbelo and, and Io and those quicker guards. They are going to try to roll, run that every single time and alley oop to Kofi every single time. I'm very interested to see how Iowa comes out defensively against Illinois. I know Iowa is incredibly excited to play against Illinois again. I still think it's an absolute joke that Iowa Illinois are not playing twice this year, but. And that's something that I'd definitely be worried about. But as far as where this team stands, I think people need to be really happy. I mean, they're number five in the country right now. They're going to have plenty of opportunities for quad one wins. I mean, looking at Joe Lenardi's latest bracket, Sean, 11 Big Ten teams or NCAA tournament teams. And Maryland, I believe, is in the next four out. So there's really 12 teams right now in contention for NCAA tournament spots of the Big Ten, which is insane to me. I mean, the talent of this league is ridiculous but that's what makes it so fun to cover night in and night out but Sean we could literally go another hour on basketball let's transition here into some football we aren't going to really get on this Missouri Iowa game cancellation because it's been a while and I think people are quote-unquote exhausted about it. so let's take a review just about the, the year in general what are your kind of final takeaways for the year and then we'll dive into some individual performances and and, you know, discuss a couple storylines heading into the spring. But I do think that this is a very memorable Iowa season. I think that the way they responded after going 0-2 and, and rattled off six straight wins, I think it's something to admire, just especially because of everything that happened in the offseason with the racial disparity allegations. And, you know, even a lot of talk about, you know, the future of Kirk Ferentz. I mean, there, were every, there was every off-the-field distraction imaginable. I think, Sean, but I think Iowa really rallied around one another, came together, and I think you can see it just in the way that Iowa is trying to promote its players now on social media. Uh, different things are going on inside the locker room. I think swag surfing, post-game celebrations. I mean, you've seen former Iowa players tweet out that they could never, ever in a million years imagine Kirk Ferentz's team doing that. So I think it's little things like that that are really improving the culture. A lot of the players have said that they don't feel like they're walking on eggshells anymore. They feel much more, I don't want to say welcomed is the right word, uh, but I just more comfortable uh, in general. So I, I think that Iowa fans should be very happy with the way the season, you know, turned around. I think that the team definitely deserved a better ending, especially since they've controlled, they controlled COVID-19 probably as well as any other team in, in, in the country, I would say Iowa was the only big 10 West team that played all eight regular season games. But I think in a year, just with everything going on, this team is going to be remembered more for the way they rallied around one another rather than just being the pandemic year, Iowa football team. I think this team was special. And Kurt Ferentz said postseason that it probably was one of his favorite teams he's ever coached. And I, I don't believe he was just, just saying that I, I truly believe that he loved this team. He loved coaching this team 
And it, again, I think it's very easy to see why. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Yeah, 100%. And I think you touched on all the points and that Kirk even said postseason that, like, this is my this is probably one of my favorite teams just because of the way they fought. And I think that was a good way of putting it, Dave. Just, you know, with everything that this team went through and how they were able really to adjust everything. And, you know, even after the 0-2 start, like you've seen with a couple of teams, like a lot of people have been under the assumption that, oh, they just threw in the towel after they went 0-2. Like players would go out and stuff and, you know, not really care for whatever with the rest of the season. But I think this Iowa team, like they could have very well done that. And they could have kind of just, you know, threw the season away after the 0-2 start. But, you know, they rallied together. They put together a great, a great year. and put together a great winning streak. And, you know, I think that's just further momentum um, going into other seasons. And, you know, people will say that this season doesn't matter. I mean, obviously we have a national or a global pandemic going on and a lot of people have lost their lives and have been really affected by it. And people are like, Oh, like, yeah, like, like, yeah, this season doesn't matter. Like it's, it's whatever, like it's a wash anyway, but I think it does matter a lot from, you know, the perception of, a program and just some momentum. I mean, look at Michigan, like this season mattered for them. Like they stunk. Like now Harbaugh's even on a hotter seat. Nebraska, like there's pressure around there. Like Lovey Smith got fired. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, Ohio State, like the momentum they had. I mean, Indiana too. Like when did we ever expect Indiana to be a national contender in football? I know they got kind of gypped out of the out of a New Year's Six Bowl. I mean, obviously they ended up losing to Ole Miss in disappointing fashion in the Outback Bowl. But, like, that – the momentum around that program is just absolutely significant right now. And, you know, I think people can say all they want about the season not mattering, but I think at the end of the day, like, this season mattered a lot more than a lot of people – a lot of people think. Like, you could say it doesn't matter, whatever, but I think from a momentum standpoint, you got programs like Iowa, Indiana, Ohio State, um, and who am I missing in the Big Ten? Um, that have had really good seasons and just have helped that momentum. I'll say Pat Fitzgerald, too. We don't even know what his future is because there are rumors about him potentially going to the NFL. Right. And I totally forgot about Northwestern, too. Like, if Pat Fitzgerald stays, like, the amount of momentum that program has, too. But I think the main, like, kind of two that it really benefited is Iowa and Indiana just because of the success that they've had um, this whole season and Iowa starting out the way they did in Indiana putting together arguably its best season in program history minus losing in the bowl. So, yeah, um, you could say it doesn't matter, but I think at the end of the day that this one, this definitely, this season definitely mattered for a lot of programs and it either hurt people. It's, it's all about how you go into and how you prepare for it. Teams that prepared for it well and like a normal season, like Iowa did in Indiana, Ohio state, Northwestern, they have success, but, you know, some of the other ones, I'm not saying they didn't take it seriously, but I think um, just kind of the way they got off to the season started and, you know, underperformed 
like they're kind of peddling back a little bit. And I think Iowa very well could have been one of the teams that have peddled back a little bit, especially with everything that they went through the past couple months and over the summer, but figured it out. And, you know, now they're just in a totally different direction that many expected them to be after the first two games. No, definitely. And it's very, I'm very interested to see how Iowa comes out next year. And I'm very interested to see what the preseason rankings going to be. We talk about guys opting out Davion Nixon, absolutely no surprise. I mean, people, I, I think everyone kind of knew that and expected that. I mean, he's, if he's a first round guy, you got to go get that guaranteed money. I mean, especially in a year where, you know, let's face it, there's really not that many elite defensive line prospects and Nixon needs to take advantage of that. He is taking advantage of that. He's going to the NFL. Nick Neiman's going to be a big loss. Uh, who else am I missing? Right now, Jack Heflin has not made official, but I believe it's been reported that he officially accepted an invite to a college gridiron showcase. And if that's the case, I believe that he disqualifies him from returning to Iowa. That's I'm, I'm not saying that is a hundred percent thing. I need to check into that, but I believe that's the case. Uh, Zach Van Balkenberg, absolutely massive addition, Sean, to next year's team. That might be one of the biggest recruiting wins of the year. We don't know about Matt Hankins right now. I think he goes because Iowa did get Northern Iowa, Northern Iowa defense back Xavier Williams uh, committing to Iowa, which is another, again, a very, very big addition. But Iowa's going to return a lot of top talent, but they also lose guys like Brand Smith, Amir Smith, Marset. Uh, we'll see what happens with Quake Cronk. I think Quake Cronk needs to return just because he didn't really get a chance to show what he can do. I think NFL teams are going to be very wary on him as far as, you know, it, does he have a future in the NFL? I think he needs to come back and prove a lot. But, I mean, Sean, I think hanging in next year, I think that this is probably a legit top 20, top 25 Iowa football team. Yeah, I don't disagree with you at all. I mean, you bring back mostly everyone on offense outside of, I know, key pieces like Alaric Jackson – Amir Smith, Marset, Brandon Smith. Um, who knows what will happen with Coy Cronk at this point? I haven't heard anything too new on there, but he definitely, I know he struggled, but I think he'd bring a great deal of experience. Um, Spencer Pugerus really looked good to start to close out the year, had his best games against Illinois and Wisconsin. Tyler Goodson, all Big Ten team, first team. Um, behind him will be an interesting story with who plays who the backup running back is because obviously you like to have that one-two punch like we saw with Sargent and Goodson this year. But, you know, I think defensively is where the strength is in this group. And I know I know that's kind of been, you know, the case throughout the past couple of years and maybe even throughout the Ferentz era. But this defensive line, especially they get Heflin back, like minus Nixon and minus Golston, like that is a very, very strong group. Yeah, I, didn't, I, didn't line. Even come, I totally forgot about Golston too, yeah. Yeah, and then minus um, minus Nick Neiman at linebacker, that's going to be a huge loss. But we saw Jack Campbell this year, how he was able to perform. Saw Seth Benson at times. Hopefully we can see some more Justin Jacobs eventually. Safety, you bring back Kerner, Merriweather. And then Xavier Williams um, is just an absolute massive pickup. We don't, we don't really know what's going to happen with Hankins at this point. But Xavier Williams is the type of guy that, you know, in Kirk Ferentz era um, – is a flyer on the recruiting circuit um, or in the, any cycle, and you know, develops over the course of his career and turns into an all Big Ten level player. I'm not saying he's going to be an all Big Ten level player, but I do think he is going to be a guy that emerges on NFL draft radars 
in the 2022 NFL draft. Sure. I, I very, I mean, he was a 2021 NFL draft prospect, but he wanted to get more film and wanted to prove himself at this, at the big, in the big 10. And you know, what other better place to do it than Iowa from a defensive back standpoint, he is going to be an absolutely massive piece to this defense next year. And I think Iowa getting him was absolutely huge without a doubt, probably one of the bigger pickups of the, uh, of the off season, one of the bigger recruiting ones, like you said too. I mean, Van Valkenburg was huge from, you know, just getting that experience back off the edge. But Williams is going to bring is going to be a guy that can come in day one, compete for a spot, and is going to compete for snaps and will probably end up winning a starting role because I think he is that good. Um and him and Riley Moss, I mean Riley Moss was the second highest graded defensive player in pro football focus this year for Iowa. I know people don't take a, some people don't take a lot of stock in pro football focus, but I think from a defensive standpoint, they do a really good job. Offensive grades may be questionable here and there, but I think defensively they do a really good job. And Moss was like high seventies or something like that, and that is very very good. Um, and he was. I, thought he had, was I mean, I thought he had a really good year. I mean, he was very consistent. I know some people still aren't big fans of Riley Moss, but he he consistently makes big plays happen. Like, yeah, I know he can get beat here and there, but. It seems like people overly criticize him when he gets beat, but he does not get beat very often anymore. Yeah, no, 100%. And, you know, I think the experience they bring back defensively, obviously defensive line, there's going to be some question marks. But I think, you know, the what they bring back is going to outweigh what they lose from just a pure experience and, you know, just talent standpoint. I mean, obviously losing Nixon and Golston is going to be tough, but – you know, I think what the guys they bring back are more than capable of filling in that gap. So I think, you know, we need to talk about this a little bit, Sean. We touched on some of the guys leaving, but, you know, I, I hate talking about this, but it's definitely the, uh, it's the biggest storyline, I think, going into spring. And that's Spencer Petras and the quarterback room. I know people are still very shaky on Spencer Petras. And I understand, you know, I, I, I get it. But people need to realize I would – are you in the same boat as me, Sean? Would you be surprised if anyone other than Spencer Petra started on September 4th against Indiana? I would be very surprised. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. With that being said, there has to be an open quarterback competition going into the spring because of how shaky Petrus was at the start of the season. I think he started playing some good football at the end of the season. I think the way he hit a couple of those deep passes against Wisconsin was – huge for his confidence he has the arm he needs to make better decisions yes but after the first five games I really think you began to see the week by week improvement he did get better as the season ended and that's typically the trajectory that will follow in the next season so I'm not saying that Spencer Petrus is gonna be a world beater by any means next year but I think you began to see why he was recruited to Iowa and you began to see at least the framework of the talent that he has and some of the pieces that Iowa is looking to build off of because he does have talent. He does have things he can bring to the table. Now it's about can they consistently put him in a position to succeed and can Spencer Petrus rise to the occasion? I think that this season is absolutely huge just in terms of experience heading into next year. Yeah, for sure. And I think the people, you know, calling for, you know, another quarterback to come in need to realize that, I mean, Deuce Hogan's going to be good. I think he'll be a very good quarterback for Iowa eventually, but I don't think he's ready yet. Alex Padilla, I think Petrus has a much higher ceiling than Padilla does, but Padilla's been 
you know, promising from what I've heard in practice. And, you know, early enrolling back in um, 2019 was so big for him. So I think there's potential behind them, behind Petrus. But I think you look at the current state of the quarterback room, it's like, okay, Petrus, he has the most experience. You know, he struggled. He struggled mightily. And I think there were games that Iowa should have definitely lost, but the defense really, really helped him out. And I think the running game was definitely huge. But I think you just got to look at it from perspective, okay, like this Petrus will be fine. I think the last two games – we're a really good indicator of what he could be. Now, I'm not going to say he's going to throw for three touchdowns and no interceptions in every game going forward in his career at Iowa. But I think what he did and what he showed was the Spencer Petrus that many people expected, but also the Petrus that we could see grow on that and just the confidence. Because, I mean, he's not going to show it in person um, or in like press interviews and stuff like he's not going to show if he's lacking confidence. Like the role of a quarterback is to express confidence and express, you know, that swagger and that courage that you need to lead a court to lead a team. And I thought Petrus did a good job of that throughout the year when he was talking to the media and, you know, not really kind of showing his hand with how he really felt. But I honestly think like just what he brings is what the best that Iowa has right now in the room. But, you know, I think there's guys behind him that could develop. I'm not saying give him a run for his money, but I think guys in the spring that can really help him push him and, you know, bring his game to another level, which I think he is, is really good for him. And I think what will really benefit him because, you know, I think there's some parts, like I think he just needs to be a little pushed a little bit more in a sense. I'm not saying – I'm just saying that's for me, like speaking out loud, like I just think quarterback, not necessarily a battle, but a competition of some sort. Yeah. Which yep. forces him to raise his game. Cause I, I, I think 98, 99% that he will be the starting quarterback for Iowa, unless he's injured, God forbid, um, on September 4th in the season opener against Indiana. But you know, he's got to raise his game a little bit, if you know what I mean. Like, I just no, – yeah, we, we need to see that consistency. And the thing is, he's not going to have as many proven weapons either. He right. has to be able to lead the offense. He's not going to be able to rely on those guys. Like, I think Tyrone Tracy is going to be in for a massive year next year. I don't think he got the opportunities with everything going on with, you know, Brand Smith, just the amount of weapons in the Iowa running game got going, and Petrus wasn't able to hit those longer throws. I think Tyrone Tracy's in for a big breakout year next year. They have Nico Regani. I think Keegan Johnson, almost said Keegan Murray. Now you got me on that Keegan, <laughs> that Keegan thing. Uh, Keegan Johnson, I think, is going to break through as a freshman. I think he could have a pretty solid first year, but they get Tyler Goodson back, but then there's a battle of who's going to be the number two running back. Is it going to be Ivory Kelly Martin, or are they going to go the Gavin Williams route? Who's the number two tight end with Sean Byer taking his talents to the NFL? And I think he will make an NFL roster, by the way. But is it going to be Luke Lachey? Is it going to be Elijah Elberton? Is it going to be Josiah Meeman? The room's loaded with young talent, but there are a lot of question marks. I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun, Sean, covering. I, God forbid, I hope we get normal spring football because I'm excited about – there are so many storylines going into this Iowa football team next year that – it, 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 it's weird as it sounds, the battle for backups at spots is so intriguing to me just because there are so many talented guys who have a legitimate shot 
at emerging as being, you know, that number two guy. So, you know, and, and by the way, I, I can't believe we haven't even touched on this, Sean, but this has to be talked about. Otherwise, we might get killed in the comments. Tyler Linderbaum is, is probably the biggest returning guy. I know I said Zach Van Valkenburg, but getting Tyler Linderbaum back for another year, despite him getting a first and second round grade by the NFL, by most mock drafts I've seen, he didn't even seek feedback from what I was told, Sean. It was almost a no-brainer decision for him. But what a freaking get for Iowa's offense and Iowa's team next year to get Tyler Linderbaum back at center next year. Yeah, I think that was that was definitely significant. I mean, probably one of the bigger ones up there with Van Balkenberg, just because he was the highest graded guy in the offensive line this year for Iowa and his leadership and his consistency, his level of play in both the pass and run blocking game is absolutely vital to Iowa's success. And, you know, that's another interesting kind of bat not necessarily battle, but competition behind them is like I know Linderbaum has another year at least at Iowa. But who's going to be the number two guy? I mean, Justin Britt's listed on the uh, depth chart as the number two guy, but we saw Noah Fenske take one snap at center earlier this year. I think it was against Michigan State. So, you know, had Linderbaum not come back, like that's another position on the offensive line that you need to figure out. And having him back, like that's arguably the most important one up there with left tackle. I mean, every position is important in the offensive line, but if you have a center and a really good left tackle, then – you are you are in good shape. I mean, I think guard is definitely – I mean, every position on the offensive line is huge, but I think center and tackle – or center and left tackle are where it starts. And, you know, if losing both um, Alaric and if it was Linderbaum, if Linderbaum ended up going, that would have been very, very tough for this Iowa team. But, you know, getting a guy like that back is is significant for sure. So, but yeah, again, we're going to dive in a lot more of the spring competition here as things get, uh, get going. I don't know when we'll get the next media availability for football, but I know school doesn't start for three more weeks. I'm not sure yet if the football players have to be back earlier or not. So I'll have to talk to some people about that, but you know, all in all, Sean, to wrap up this conversation, wrap up this podcast, it's been a very, despite everything that has gone on in the Iowa athletics program and football, And in the world in general, it it was a very good year for Iowa athletics with with wrestling, with women's basketball, with basketball, with football. I mean, it's been a very good year. And the momentum is building toward 2021. I mean, you look at the women's basketball team. Caitlin Clark is setting the world on fire with what she can do. I'm looking forward to actually be able to cover more of of what that Lisa Bluter's crew is doing because it's a lot of fun to watch. Uh wrestling it looks like they're poised for a national title and in football just a lot of lot of position battles going into the spring and it's gonna be another really talented Iowa football team and that schedule's no joke next year Sean so we'll see what happens there but uh any other final thoughts on on anything I think we uh we we about covered it all yeah I don't I don't have anything else to add really but uh, yeah, we'll be back here next week. Uh, review Iowa, Iowa basketball. We'll talk a little bit more about football. But all in all, a very good year. We'll talk more about Tyler Goodson next next podcast. What to expect from him? What to, our way too early predictions on who's going to emerge at the backup spots and everything else like that. But again, Swarmcast, Hawkeye Insider, David Eichel, Sean Bach. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at sbach two four seven at David Eichel, at Hawkeyes on 24-7, the most in-depth Iowa football, basketball, recruiting, analysis, scoop, and everything else in between available 
on the World Wide Web. So again, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus.